Welcome back, Patriots, to Bravo 16 Podcast. After a short little break for some fun personal and work stuff, we're back in action and happy to bring you another great podcast, episode 11, with Cade Pittman. Cade was a SWIC, which is under Naval Special Warfare. It's called a Special Warfare Combatant Craft Crewman. And basically, they handle what he calls on top of the water movement for special operations personnel. If you've seen Act of Valor, you've seen them working with their boats, picking up the seals. And that's kind of what they do is work with a lot of special operators, getting them from different points, giving them support and protection. And so we got to hear a little bit about that. And he also became a SOCOM medic which is a special operations combat medic, which is a long, arduous process. Talks about going through that and some of the interesting parts of his military career and then gets into a little bit of a tougher part when he had a parachute crash and some of the um, TBI and issues he dealt with, which ultimately led to him separating from the Navy, special warfare, and then going on to his transition to civilian life and what he's doing now. And so it's a good short podcast. Uh, We did it over Zoom, so the sound is obviously not as good as I would prefer, but he's on set with his uh, incredible wife, Renee Moneymaker, the superstar stunt woman. And so I wanted to at least get him on and get a story out there to start the new year. So... Thanks for listening. Bravo 16 podcast number 11 with Cade Pittman. Hard work. Hard work. Hard work. Hard work. Hard work. 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 That's what they say. Hard work. Hard work. I earn my pay. Hard work. Hard work. Do it every day. Hard work. I get up about a quarter to three. Hard work. Got to go and earn my pay. Hard work. Put my boots on and lace them up. Hard work. Got another day's of work. Hard work. That got me now. I hear you. Gotcha. I like it. All right, dude, let's do this. I'm excited. I uh, appreciate you coming on uh, Bravo 16 podcast episode 11 with Cade Pittman, my good friend. We've been trying to get this going for a while and uh, uh, you've been working for a while out in Atlanta. So I appreciate you coming on to kind of tell your story and talk about your experiences. I mean, that's the whole goal of our podcast is to kind of give veterans out there a, um, you know, let them hear other stories from different people and kind of hear, you know, their journeys and maybe they can identify with it and, you know, kind of uh, give them a little inspiration. I know you've had an amazing and crazy story through your military career too. It's been interesting for sure. Yeah. Definitely not the way I planned it. Right, right, right. Well, let's, let's tell it, let's go back and, you know, tell everybody a little bit about kind of where you grew up, you know, uh, what were you into, uh, you know, were you kind of always thinking you'd go in the military or did that uh, kind of happen at the end of, uh, end of high school or what was your, what's your story? Oh man. It's so I grew up in Western Nebraska, small town hunting and fishing. Um, it's not about 20,000, but we were the city kids in Western Nebraska. So I didn't, okay. I, didn't know that, I didn't know that I was a country bumpkin until I went to college. All <laughs> right, <laughs> right, right. You know, I thought Lincoln was a metropolis and I think it maybe 200,000 people. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I grew up hunting and fishing and just playing GI Joe in the backyard. We kind of had a kind of a state park in the back. So I had yeah. four wheelers, BB guns, and just kind of ultimate freedom. And I was, you know, I think I watched predator and Navy seals and all those war movies too much. And I was thought I wanted to go to the military, but I was a, I was a decent athlete. So I was, I was really into football and ended up somehow getting a scholarship to the university of Nebraska in 2002. So it was, you know, nine 11 happened. And, um, you know, I was so wrapped up in getting that football scholarship because believe it or not, Nebraska was pretty good then. I remember, I remember those days. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 So 2001, my senior year of high school, they played in the national championship and they got, they got throttled by Miami, but, um, Eric Crouch won the Heisman that year. So Nebraska was a top tier team. Yeah. In high school, did you play a bunch of different sports or did you just focus mostly on football? Pretty much focused on football. I played everything um, growing up and then high school. I just focused. I really wanted to get a scholarship. It's all yeah. up to Nebraska, which no one from my high school ever had. 
Really? Uh, no, not I was. I'm still the only one. We oh. had some players that uh, Danny Woodhead, the the, the sure. back, he didn't get a scholarship there, but he obviously had a much more successful football career. That's, hey, you got to start somewhere. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah. But, he just he just got overlooked, like every you know, like like people do from that town. Yeah. So I ended up getting a scholarship in 2002, and I focused on that for two or three years. But I was always in the back of my mind, you know, with the the war going on, I was like, you know. I didn't think I was an NFL guy. I was just like, you know, after this is done, I'm going to go, I'm going to go, you know, join the military. And I didn't necessarily think the Navy was my number one choice. I, I didn't okay. know. I just knew I wanted to do something cool. Did you have anybody in your family that was military or anybody that around you that kind of inspired you or was just always some, something deep down inside? It's always something deep down inside. My older brother was in the air force. He was security forces. And I remember thinking that was cool, but we saw the, so he was stationed down in, um, I think it was Stennis. Okay. Or, somewhere down there maybe it was uh but but i remember seeing the boat teams driving around in those little sock r's back then and i was probably i don't know 10 years old oh interesting okay and my brother and we didn't know what that the what the swit community was back then but my brother's like oh there's the navy seal boats and i thought that was that's pretty cool <laughs> you know they're ripping around and all that and so uh so anyway play, played football in nebraska went through a bunch of coaching changes ended up leaving the program after three years and then i goofed off in hawaii for about a year, I was a tour guide, but same thing. You'd, we'd, we, I'd see those, uh, those Blackhawks with the mm -hmm. uh, guys hanging out, you know, running around on those things. And there was, and I thought, I was like, dude, those guys are just hanging from those, from those ropes. Just, just standing <laughs> on that's, that's pretty cool. Like I need, right. to, I need to do that. So I ended up transferring to Buffalo, played a, a semester there and I just destroyed my knee. Oh man. Yeah. yeah. It was, you know, zero degrees. We didn't have an indoor practice facility. Cause I went from Nebraska where we had all this, you know, we got treated like royalty to the right. Buffalo, right. which was, I think it was our second year division one. So I went to the team doctor there who was a Buffalo bills doctor. And he took, he looked, we took an MRI and everything. And he said, Oh, I just rub some Copenhagen on it. You know, <laughs> it's, fine. it's just a, it's just a bone bruise. Okay. That sounds about right. And you know, like growing up, there was two things that you got prided on in um, Nebraska. And it, one was like how tough you were. Right. And then two was like how good you were at like fighting. And this wasn't, this was pre MMA. So it's like, right. Right. and I wasn't very good at fighting. So I, I decided I was going to be a tough guy. So I took what he said for what it was. And I just kept practicing and man, it was just locking up and I knew something was wrong. I could barely walk to class. So, so anyway, after the spring, after spring ball, I went back and got a second opinion and the doctor just kind of looked and I trusted this guy. He's a Nebraska doctor that, you know, he did Scotty Pippen's knee. So he's the real deal. Right. And uh, he just, he's, he didn't even look at the MRI. He just kind of felt around and he's like, Oh man, you, you fractured your, uh, your femur and your tibia, right. At, you know, I could just. No. Yeah. So like right where your femur meets your tibia. Yeah. On, on the, the medial femoral condyle. That's that Sockham talk coming out. Yeah. Yeah. It was fractured and when they did the surgery they took pictures and that sucker was fractured all the way up to femoral nerve. come on yeah so I, I played on it for you know maybe a week or two in spring ball I just chucked it up and i mean it, it was obviously not that bad but you know I, so anyway he was just said you know it's going to be two years before you're you're full speed and after a red shirt year yeah i was just over it yeah so I, was, I was i was happy you know i kind of proved my point in buffalo i got a starting spot and yeah that's great i didn't go back and i just started rehabbing and that's when Cause I mean, I had a, I had this, it's called a something, what's it called? A chondroplasty. Okay. So go in and they just drill a bunch of holes in your femur. So that yeah, like micro fracture. I've heard of that. Yeah. I think Jason Kidd had that. My brother had it four times when he was in the NFL. So yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So you know exactly. So it's, it's three months. I think it was three months non-weight bearing. Yeah. It's and great. I it twice. Oh, wow. So, so Brett, so then I couldn't, I mean, I was literally on crutches, couldn't work. I was in LA for my second one, but um, that's when I got serious about the Navy because all I could do is swim. And I was like, oh, okay. I wondered how that came to pass. Yeah. Brent, like I was a 40 yard dash guy. I was, I think I had this maybe second or third fastest on the team. Yeah. But anything after 40, I gassed out. I was tired. So endurance points were not my thing. And all you okay. see about buds is just running and swimming. Yeah. Now I wasn't I'm not very floaty, believe it or not. <laughs> but I just got in the pool and just I just started swimming all the time. Right. And, uh, still wasn't very good at it, but I got pretty comfortable. And then I applied to the to the Navy. And in my infinite wisdom of being like this honest Nebraska kid, I told him about my knee surgery. Oh yeah, yeah, I didn't know. Because I mean I, welcome was, to the Air Force. 
the Air Force told me to go home too. Okay. Well, so I tried the Navy, tried to go to Bud's. They said, you'll never be in the Navy. So don't even come back. I went to okay. the Air Force. They said, no. Then I went to the, and I'm like 20. By the time my knee was healed up, I'm going to say I'm 25 at this point. That's right. I remember you telling me that. Yeah. Go. So then I went to the Army and they said, no. And then I got some, some weird Army recruiter for the National Guard trying to do their Green Beret thing. Right, right. Hustler at some Mississippi command that was just telling me a bunch of nonsense, and he led me astray for a while. So then, I mean, I just wanted to do this, so I'm still training, and I just know this is going to work out, even though everybody's told me no. Yeah. So I went back to the Navy because I heard they looked at officer packets more okay. specifically, more specifically. So I called a, a different recruiting station, and they said, "Oh, you're." We, they looked at my file, and they said, "Your recruiter didn't put in an appeal." <laughs> okay. Yeah. So gotcha. I said, "All right, well, I, I want I want to be a Navy SEAL, right?" So I said, all right, come back down. We'll start putting you through the delayed entry program and we'll start running your packet up. So I'm already probably three years into this, this program, this, this right. thing, trying to get in the military. So long story short, I'm bartending in Hermosa Beach, having a great time, just training all the time. And this is what I want to do. Um, meet, meet my wife towards the end of that run. But of course, like a couple of weeks before I leave to boot camp. Right. Worst time ever. Somehow I ended up getting in. I mean, I, I had my, my cousin who was a green, uh, 18 Delta wrote me a letter and I don't know if any of that mattered, but I ended up getting uh, accepted to go to NSW, but I was too old to get a, a, a buds packet. No kidding. What's the age was, limit for that? Yeah. I think it's, it was 28 at the time. So I'm 30. Okay. okay. I, so I had like, I don't know, it was like a year before I shipped or something. So I was trying to get the appeal, but you know, that's a lot of work and nobody wanted to do that. And right. told me like, Hey, you should try this SWIC thing. It's either Swick or EOD or air rescue. And I'm a little too clumsy to deal with bombs all the time. Right. <laughs> so, right. To tell everybody what Swick is. A lot of people don't know about that. Yeah. So Swick stands for special warfare combatant craft crewman. And basically do we do all the, the top of the water insert extract for special operations units, mostly Navy SEALs and MARSOC. Okay. And they don't have, they don't, they didn't have the same age restrictions as uh, Buds and the SEAL teams did. They had, it was 30 and I, and I squeaked in because I saw, <laughs> like, I think I literally got the call like on my 30th birthday where my, yeah. Recruiter, yeah. spent the night at Pismo Beach, just sleeping in my car. I was, you yeah. had a bottle of Crown Royal, half empty once <laughs> next to me. You're like, this is called. it. And, hey man, can you, can you do your, uh, whatever P, PT test today? And I was kind of hungover. I was like, oh yeah, I, I can make it. Oh my God. It's a pass and you're in. And I was like, well course you guys would call it a day after five years so you drove from pismo beach to coronado to take yeah. it uh no it was la i ducked out of la okay so gotcha. I, I don't remember i was like in long beach i think when okay. i got back to santa monica i went back and forth so then i did fine the test isn't super hard you know for just to get in yeah but yeah the age was 30 so then got all my affairs in order and shipped out now how does it work you're the first swick i've had on the podcast that's why i'm so interested to hear like you know it's I feel like SWIC is kind of as the SEAL team should be, which is you don't know a lot about it. You've heard rumors, but, you know, so tell me, like, how's the process of getting in what you can tell, like in terms of, you know, is it like buds? Is it like, do they do really focus more on the, the water side or, or how, how does it work? So from, so right at the beginning, they put you in like, I think the 800 divisions is what they called it. Okay. So you're in with the, everybody who's trying to be a, a SWIC or a SEAL or I think some EOD candidates as well. Okay. So you start in boot camp with them. You just do the regular boot camp. You go to dive mo, maybe once or twice a week where the Navy SEAL instructors, you know, yell at you and you get in the pool and you do, and that's like really the only exercise you get with. You is know, this a Great Lakes when you're doing this? Lakes. Yeah, this is a boot camp. Okay. And then you make it through that and no one really quits in that. Um, and then we go to, at the time it was called Bud's Prep and it was also okay. in Great Lakes. Okay. And that was eight or nine weeks where they're prepping you to go to, to Bud's. So you're training alongside those guys and you're doing, you know, you're learning how to swim and, and run and do all the different, like the drown proofing and underwater knot tying. You're, you're practicing all that stuff. So you're ready to go. But honestly, and when I was there, we lost a lot of guys. A lot of guys quit at Bud's Prep. I've heard that. Um, yeah, it's like they, I remember the brick treads at Bud's Prep were 15 times harder than the ones in Coronado. And what's a brick tread? What is that? So a brick tread is when you have a 10-pound brick, and they put you in the water in the in the deep end, and then you have to do all these fun little, you know, <laughs> synchronized swimming things. Okay. One arm in the air, both arms in the air, and then you, holding a brick. We're holding a 10 pound weight and it's just okay gotcha gotcha okay it looks like those yoga 
things that are styrofoam. Yes, yes, yes. All rubber. It's just it's just awful. And for a yeah. guy like me, some guys cruise through that stuff. But for a guy like me who's sinky anyway, it was just. A <laughs> I didn't I love that you're. Yeah, all I did for five years was prep to like right. you know swim and hold my breath, but no one told me about these brick treads. Oh, I was in trouble because really? I I darn near drowned the first time. I was. It was we actually, the first time we did it, we did it with our water bottle or Nalgene. That's a 32 ounce, you know, two yep. pound thing. And I, I dang near drowned doing that. And I remember one of the instructors spraying a hose on me and he was just like, dude, what were you thinking? You're never going to make it. He wasn't even like yelling at me. He just looked at me and he was like, dude, this is, this is going to be a struggle for you. Oh my God. Dude, you're kidding me. That's crazy. Wow. Yeah, so I was lucky enough to meet some rollbacks, some guys that uh, they were at Bud's Prep and they've been through all this before. And they taught me some techniques to get through it. Like just keep your head in the water because that's 10 less pounds to keep above. And oh, so I wow. Carry my head in the water and hold that thing up. And that helped a lot. So I, I practiced that on the weekends, thankfully. So I ended up surviving all that stuff. Okay. But uh, so anyway, so I got off track. So then you do the eight weeks there, you test out, and then you go to Bud's Orientation which is three weeks, which is, you know, more learning the oak horse, how to conduct yourself, how to you know, the ropes down there. And when I was there as well, we lost a lot of guys to some of the evolutions there. Really? Hard. Yeah, for sure. You know, and this is just, this is just seals and, and um, seal candidates and sweat candidates at that point. But I remember we definitely had a lot of DORs at that point. And then after Bud's orientation, the team, the, the seal candidates go to their fa first phase and we go to our first phase, which at the time was called BCT, basic crewman training. Okay. And I, I know it's different. I know they do different evolutions and all that, but I mean, I didn't go to Bud's, but BCT was hard, man. <laughs> <laughs> and I know everybody talks about, oh, Bud's is way harder and whatever, I don't care. I got pushed pretty hard at Swick School. And our one saving grace is that, so there's four evolutions a day, um, you know, so you'll have like a run, a swim, a PT. But in, in Swiss school, the fourth evolution is an academic one. So, okay. so you're, I remember it would be the last evolution of the day, and we'd generally be in the classroom, soaking wet, shivering, learn how to navigate, and, and, you know, just the little different rules of the road on the top of the water stuff, which was pretty, it was, you know, that was, it was nice to get a break from the physical activity, but a lot of guys couldn't navigate after running all day and being tired. It was just uh, that's a good tough. point. Yeah. How many but, were in your class when, or were in your class when you started? Oh, man. So I remember at boot camp. We started with 80 some SWIT candidates. And by the time we were at, um, and you know, guys get, guys quit, guys get rolled in. I want to say we started with like 40. Okay. BCT. So our first phase. And then by the time we got to the tour, which was our hell week, I think we had maybe like 25 or something like that. Okay, wow. Small classes then, huh? Yeah. yeah very small classes, which is cool. Cause you, I mean, you, you get to, you get intimate with the guys in your class. Like, you know, everybody. Yeah. So, which is, which is, why I like the community because I mean you really know everybody. Yeah. Everybody, you know, there's no hiding. Yeah. Was there ever a time to, doing BCT and going through the tour and everything where you're like, I don't know if I can make this, or did you feel like I'll never quit? I mean, I'll, I'll you know, I, I definitely thought I'll never quit, but I remember on one one day when you know we were in the first day of uh, our first day's BCT. I remember thinking like, oh, this is gonna, this is gonna be rough. I don't know. <laughs> but I honestly, uh, the only time I really I never really thought about quitting. I mean, I, Brent, I was, it was five years of me turning yeah. down good paying jobs, you know, a lot of, a lot of girlfriends that were pretty cool had to hit the road. Cause this is what I wanted to do. So I'd already sacrificed a lot to yeah. get to that point. Yeah. So there's honestly never, and I'm not, it was not cause I was tough. It's not cause I, you know, I just knew I wanted to be there and yeah. I was older. And yeah. so, I mean, I bartended and worked, you know, got a few real jobs, you know, like working sales and different things. So I, I knew what I didn't want. And I just, honestly, I just, I think I just had, I would had fear of missing out. Like if I had to quit, I'd have missed out on the next thing. Right, 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 right. It was fun at the end of the day, just going over like with the fellas and laughing about like, you know, this guy and something stupid I did or something silly someone else did. Yeah. And so I just, I just cherished that. So I just, as hard as it was, it was in reflection. It was definitely one of the better times in my, in my life, you know? Oh, I love that. And then once you get through that kind of first phase, that training, what's the next step then? Once you guys quote, make it through, then, then what do they do? Yep. So once you, once you finish the tour, which was a, uh, it's like, it's our hell week, but it's, I think it's three days, 72 hours instead of what is it? Five days for, yep. Yep. And, and you know, before that I was like, Oh, I wish we just went five. 
you know, because like then we, can, but you know, after three days, I was good. <laughs> I was mad about it. Right. right I, was, I was ready to be done. <laughs> Dude, you can get your ass kicked in an hour, so let alone seventy-two hours. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, you know, it was definitely tough. But you get your brown shirt, and you kind of feel like a big kid at the time. And then after that, they take you to crewman qualification, crewman qualification training (CQT). Okay. And that's when you start learning the job. You, see, you learn the boats, the mechanics inside and out of the boats, the heavy weapons. You start, you know, you go to the range, you go to Pendleton. Um, that's when you start doing the more military learning the job stuff. And that, I, I want to say that was 12 weeks, but I honestly don't remember. Okay, gotcha. You're not, you're not, you're not, getting, you're not getting beat up physically as bad. You know, you're, you're definitely doing some physical evolutions during that time, but you're treated more as an adult and you get, they give you some more, some more rope to hang yourself with. Yeah, of course. Yeah, right. You know, honestly, like, you know, you're, we still lost a few guys because there's a lot of academic tests, just like I'm sure with the team guys you have to pass, you know, there's a lot of, there's a, a like a by hand navigation test. There's one with the actual GPS, there's all the weapons training stuff. And then, so we lose a few guys to that, but, um, you know, then after you finish that, then you go to your, uh, your team after that. Okay. Or if you're not tired of selection and stress and, you know, having your head on the chalking block every Friday, you go to, uh, to, to sock them. Like which is I where did, you went. Which is where I went, which is the, it's, it's the army's, uh, 18 Delta course for the yep. medics. What, what does SOCOM stand for? SOCOM stands for special operations, combat medic. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. So, so they, did they decide that for you or did you want to do that? Well, I think at the time they, you have to volunteer. Okay. It's a pretty tough course with a pretty high attrition rate. And if you don't want to be there, you're just not going to make it. And you decided you wanted to do that. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I kicked it around because I was so tired to be a, a student. I just wanted to go to my job. But I had a, a mentor who was uh, an ex-team guy that uh, he said that he's like, dude, you just you're going to want that qualification. Just yeah. you know, get out. It's just like the best qualifi qualification you can get in NSW. So uh, I went and I'm so glad I did because I met some awesome guys there. Some of my best. I'm actually going to one of my friend's weddings from Sockham that I met there. Nice, nice. And, yeah, we I, talked about that with our good friend, John Martin, Master Sergeant John Martin, that was also on the podcast. And he, he, I remember the three of us were training one time and you guys were talking about that course was just crazy. So tell people what it is. I don't think anybody knows how hard it is to become a SOCOM, you know, met, trained medic. So SOCOM, when I went through in 2016 was a, I think it was a nine, nine month course. Okay. Took me 10 because I, I, I failed to test. So I got <laughs> It's supposed to be, it was a nine month course and you start out with EMT where you get your basic EMT and you, and you do it in a month instead of, I think most EMT courses either six to, to 12 months to get your national, national registry. Yep. We do it and we did it at the time in 25 training days. So everything's just through a fire hose yeah, yeah. and you have to take the, you have to take the actual NREMT. So it's not a gimme. Oh my gosh. Okay. Yeah. So you're, you know, all you're doing, it's, it's not a physical course. We do some ruck runs and this and that. But generally, guys just get out of shape when they're there because you are always in the books. Yeah, yeah. So with the EMT, then you go to uh, you go anatomy and physiology, which you take A and P one and two, and you take that in in twenty five days, uh, training days, so four or five weeks, and then you have to test out, and you know yeah. I think you squeaked by with just a, a C C plus. <laughs> right, right. I, you know I had a I had a college degree, and I I took I was on the dean's list, and I have never been pushed harder academically than in that course. Yeah, it sounds like these this should have taken like five years to do all this stuff, basically. Yeah. So <laughs> at the so when I when I graduated, they told us they they I mean they train us at a physician's assistant level, and they do it in ten months, and it, more of like the, in the emergency department. We do we do do some clinical medicine for sure, but they really hammer in that trauma where you're you have to. Yeah. You know, on blood transfusions, all the T tri C and just making things happen. Um, I think that the, the end, the end goal when I was there is to hold on to patients for 72 hours. So you're doing okay. prolonged field care. Yeah. You need to hold on to a guy and you're the sole provider. And of course, you know, you can, you can zoom medicine and all that with a, with a physician, but in an austere environment, you might always have that. So you're making a lot of pretty wild calls for 72 hours until they can uh, medevac a guy out of there. Didn't you have some crazy stuff? Cause they make you work, work in the ER for a while. Didn't you have some crazy story you told me where you're in the ER? I have so many crazy stories from rotations. <laughs> I, was, I was fortunate enough to get, uh, it was just luck of the draw, but we went to Flint, Michigan, which is, was pretty wild. So you, you, you're pretty much graduated in the last month you're doing rotations. So you go through the, you go through the hospital, all the departments, you know, labor and delivery, the ER, 
the burn unit, I just P, the PICU, and then you do EMS calls. And in Flint, the paramedics there are sheriffs. So oh. they're law enforcement first. Okay. They're also the ACLS uh, uh, medics. So we were rolling around with these sheriffs while they're doing their crazy stuff up in Flint. And we're obviously we can't be armed, but there's a shotgun in there in case things go down. Right, right, right. Yeah. I, I saw so many crazy things when I was up there. Um, my first call, literally, we I worked like labor and delivery and did some pretty low speed stuff the first couple of days. And then my first night on EMS, I remember we went to Tim Horton's coffee and they gave it to us for free because I guess that's that's the, the perks of being a sheriff up there. Gotcha. Okay. Just, oh man, it's a good day. I got my coffee. We're in a, I'm in a cop car doing a ride along with another one of my soccer buddies. Right. Literally the first call, they were like, hey, you know, multiple multiple gunshots at so-and-so address. And I this hasn't even hit me yet. I'm still just kind of thinking about my coffee. <laughs> and, okay, and the sheriff almost like, uh-oh, here we go. This is a, this is gonna be a good one. And I was still just kind of like you know, cherishing my coffee. And we drove like hell to that to that scene, and it was a it was an apartment complex. Right. And there was a, there was one police there. They hadn't even roped it off yet, and the the cop was waving us in. So I had my trauma bag, and the reality starting to set in. And um, he said, "Yep, it's clear." Um, you know, they had security pulled, and I walked in, and it was the leasing office, and the chairs were all knocked over, and there was a there was a woman on her side in the fetal position facing away from me. So me and the sockman and I went in there. And, you know, we rolled her over and she was eight months pregnant. Oh my gosh. Round in her temple and she's still breathing. Wait, she had a gunshot wound in her temple. Yeah. 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 Oh my gosh. Okay. All right. I mean, it must've been a small caliber, but, and, um, so we, we stayed there and then we heard someone did a, did a sweep and said, Hey, there's another patient back here. So I let my buddy or my buddy volunteered to stay with her, which was great. Cause I was, we don't train for that. Yeah. So I, so I peeled off and went back to another room and same deal. Another lady, she was, I think it was, she was in her forties and she had a, a round in her temple as well. And, you know, they're, they're both still alive, probably not going to make it, but you know, you go through the motions and I was, uh, so anyway, that was, that was my first call. And um, what happened was the, the, one of the tenants was getting evicted and she came in and started shooting up the place. Oh my gosh, dude. Yeah. That's crazy. So, up, so both cat, both, both, uh, both women ended up um, passing away. Okay. Did save the the baby. Oh, you did? No kidding. Yeah. Oh, yeah so obviously, we made it back to the hospital, and and you know they they delivered all that. Oh, that's great. So that that was good. But I mean, she was like eighteen. And yeah. then, I'm Not going to believe this, but a week later, I was on EMS again, and we got a call about a uh, disgruntled teenager, and that we're all kind of laughing, like, "Oh, here we go. You got some dramatic girl that you know her her, her right, her right. Profile, you know, or whatever. She got." <laughs> Yeah, yeah, we're all kind of smoking and joking, and then we pull up, and they're like, "All right, Pittman, you're you're on this one." So I started walking up, and you know, saying, "All right, darling, like you know, my name's Kate. I'm a paramedic. Like, what's the deal?" And she's just in tears, and her whole family circled out in front of her. And this is a pretty nice neighborhood. And she started cussing at me and telling me that her mom got shot in the head, and she had to go to her funeral that day. So her mom was my patient. No kidding. Yeah, yeah. Oh, gosh, that is weird. And that hit me like a ton of bricks. Yeah, of course. So I mean, I you know, I handled I handled it, but I just remember going back and being like, "Dude, what are the odds of that?" Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, it's it you know when you see your first your first patient like that, it's you know it's definitely a little heavy, but you're just you're just in it and you're busy. So I hadn't really well, thought I mean, about it. This is the reality of being a combat medic, right? Like when you get out in the real world, this is the stuff you're going to be dealing with. Yeah, yeah, and um, you know, they don't really prepare you for like the the mental stuff like that because right. honestly didn't think about it I, and i was not trying to sound like a cowboy i mean that was you know it was traumatic but you know it was on to the next thing i had i had all these different things with these procedures i had to get done to graduate yeah so you just put that aside and honestly i hadn't thought about it yeah. Then, yeah you know when i when i showed up to that it really when you see the back end of things and you know you yeah. see the whole family and what it does yeah that's, that's when it, i actually kind of sat down and thought about it and i was like oh man like that was that was actually pretty crazy you know yeah this is like a real a, a real thing oh my god that's a crazy way to go through training so i did you you made it almost all the way through but you said you had, you struggled in the last month or so getting graduated now we do uh there's a there's a there's a trauma twos a uh, portion of the course that gets everybody and um i i just i just choked honestly i just didn't I, <laughs> wasn't for some reason there was just you know you do your big tpa algorithm and i could do that but i just i think i just been through so much with selection and then three or four months of sockham and i was just i think my brain was just full yeah <laughs> and, 
And yeah. then I was stressed out because I wasn't keeping up with the class. But um, ended up where, you know, I, I failed that. I got rolled. I had, I got like a week off. And then, you know, by the next time I, I'd seen everything. So I, I took more of a leadership role in that, yeah. in that class and I cruised through it and had a great instructor and then made some new friends. One of my other, one of the other Swicks that uh, he, he failed as well. So we teamed up. So I had, a, I had a buddy from um, selection and boot camp. Yeah. Well, and it's almost a good thing that it's so hard because you're, you're the last, you know, line of defense between the guys sometimes living and dying. So, you know, it's, I know it sucked, but I think I remember you telling me that it was a good thing because you learned all that even better the second time through. Oh yeah, no, definitely. I definitely feel really good about, um, you know, trauma patients. Someone's bleeding. Yeah. Be the guy there. Yeah. Stop it. You know? So you're a SWIC, you're, you get through Sockham and then what do they do with you at that point? You're like the most valuable commodity in that community, I would imagine. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's interesting. So I went, so I finished that and I thought I was going to go to my team and then get in a detachment and just start hitting it. And actually I remember I was just in train department for a while because I okay. don't know how it worked, but I ended up, so I, you know, we just kind of hung out and I would hop on training evolutions when I could, but I mean, I was ready to go because I had right. two years of just, oh yeah. You know, and then I got to my team and everybody's so laid back. I'm just like, yeah, man, you're just going to, you're not going to deploy for a couple of years at least. Really? Work up. Well, you know, with the workups and everything. And then I didn't think I was going to be in my first attachment for like six months. Yeah. So I went from being a hard charger to like mowing lawns and picking up trash and then trying to hop. Gotcha. And then I would, I would get to go do like some, you know, some, some military stuff here and there, but it kind of been a holding pattern for a little bit. Okay. Which is frustrating. Okay. But I got lucky and I got selected to go on a, an augment deployment with development group because they, they send some, some swicks to go help out with, with, with that, uh, command. That's awesome. So I got selected to do that and see how those guys do things, which was really cool. Which when I went back to my, um, after I finished and I went back to my detachment, I was just, you know, I'd been down range of seeing how guys do things. And I had a lot more good ideas of how I wanted to run my, my detachment and all that. So did you just, did, did they deploy when you were with them development group at all, or did you just get to see like the training side with them? No, we were, we were, we were, we were, um, so we, we opt out of, um, what was it? Djibouti. Okay. Gotcha. So we, were, we, were, we were out there and that was kind of that, you know, doing, doing that thing out there. Wow, man. That must've been incredible. Not only getting your first deployment, but also with those guys, just seeing how, how, how they run things. I bet it was amazing. Yeah, I met some pretty incredible people there, and I had a, I learned a lot, had a pretty awesome experience, and then, you know, kind of the, I want to say the illusion of like war, yeah, that stuff was definitely gone, where you're like, oh, this is this is real, like this yeah. is consequences, yeah, and you know, people people get hurt, people people die, and it's not always it's not always just fun and games, you know, because up to that point you're just training and you don't you just don't think about it, you know, and then oh. it happens and then you're just like, Oh wow, this is real. I've heard that from other people like the, you know, you grow up wanting to do it. You go through buds, everybody's hoorah and you go through SWIC training and then you get to actual real war and you're like, wow, this is kind of uh, uh horrific and the real, you know, the, the reality of it hits. Yeah. It was interesting. It was, it was definitely a learning experience. I'm so glad that I got to see some of those things because it, it's a lot better than just always, you know, I have some friends that never got to do any like real world ops or anything. And they spent yeah. six years in. Yeah. How does it work with SWIC? Do you guys have like, you know, different teams and they deploy when it's necessary or they go with different special operations group? Like how to, how does that work in SWIC? So we, we deploy anywhere basically that uh, like a, a Navy SEAL platoon goes. Okay. Um, a lot of times there'll be a, a, a boat team attached to a SEAL team somewhere. But generally we just, uh, I mean, we have our different AOs that we hang out in and you just, you know, you deploy and then just kind of depends on where you are and what you do. If, um, if it's needed, right. If there's some, you know, maritime help needed, right. Oh yeah. Yep. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. And then after you were with the development group, what, what happened after that? What was your next? Oh step? man. Oh, so this is where the story gets a little less fun. So I came back, um, came back from that deployment. And I was on my post-deployment leave and my wife tells me that like, Hey, we're going to take on our uh, niece and her niece and nephew. Cause mom's not doing so well. So like right. we're basically adopting two kids. Right. Okay. You're like, wow, that accelerated. <laughs> so this is like, I'm, I'm, I've been married for, I got married before deployment. Right. Yep. Right. I, you know, Renee's awesome. Yeah. It was, it was all good. But uh, 
I, I vetoed at first. I'm not going to lie. I said, no, yeah. this is a terrible idea. Cause I was stationed in Virginia and she was living in LA. So we never saw each other anyway. Right. Yeah. So I, I'm, I don't know. I hear rumors that the NSW divorce rates like 90%. It's definitely over 80. Yeah. 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 And then, Absolutely. You know, yeah. I coastal and then add that on top of it. And I, you know, I was just like, this is never going to work. Yeah. But uh, so anyway, I was um, I got into my detachment, started get, getting ready for the workup. And then I went to free fall school yeah. and um, I ended up burning in on a jump and messing my and that's when I got hurt. And I spent a month at uh, Walter Reed at the hospital because of a, a brain injury. Yeah. Tell people uh, what burning in means and go, t- tell a little bit about the story. I remember you telling me about like the day of what happened and all that. Yeah, um, it was just free fall school is nothing crazy because um i think the team guys go to they go to free fall school as part of like sqt okay unless you go to a, a mcad's debt that's where they push the boats out and you jump in and after them um, yeah they don't send switch to jump score they didn't used to okay so then my debt we were going to do that so they sent me to free fall and you know we did static line everything was great we we're having a blast it's a fun school and then just one jump um i was coming in on my final and i heard over the radio like, Hey, pink pair. I was pink parachute. And I swore I heard pink parachute flare, flare, flare. And I was pretty high. And I was, I was going to miss the DZ by a bit. Cause I wasn't the best skydiver you've ever met. Right. <laughs> uh, you know, I just, I heard the guy in the ground and I knew it wasn't the right thing to do, but I just was like, I just was not confident enough and it was totally my fault. And I, I hit the brake. So I flared, okay. which is the canopy, which you're we're supposed to do if you're, you know, three or four feet off the ground. And then you just kind of land real soft. And that's like the cool guy, just kind of walk it in landing. Right. But when you do it at 50 feet, like, like I did, like a dummy, it collapses your canopy. So you stall and then you kind of pendulum. So you're swinging up. And then I heard pink parachute. Uh, what was it? PLF, PLF. So then in my infinite wisdom, I, I put my arms up to PLF because I felt myself falling. I couldn't see. I'm looking up. So all I see is blue sky because I'm pendulum so high. Yeah. And then I, I think I might have let go of the risers, which just opens up your canopy. And then it just accelerates you. So I slammed into the ground just right on a, like pretty much on my head. Oh, dude. And the I, I know the, uh, the, what the NCO or whatever the, uh, not the NCO, but that's an army thing the NSOIC of a uh, jump school said I burned in at like 50 miles an hour, which I don't believe it seems wow. a little fast, but I appreciate, appreciate them fluffing the stats for me. Holy cow. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I hit the ground and I thought I remember trying to get up, but I guess I was just getting drug around. by my parachute. Right, 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 right. But I remember, I remember coming to a little bit and I couldn't hear, like I was deaf out of my ear. Okay. And um, yeah, I was just, I just remember being in a lot of pain and then, once they got more, and then I remember the paramedic was doing something on the ambulance and I wasn't happy with it. Yeah. <laughs> Cause obviously I was like the best medic there. You were fighting him. You were telling him what to do. I was yeah. telling him what to do. I was being a jerk. I was, I was hurt pretty bad. So yeah. I was really proud of that. But uh, once they gave me morphine, my mood, my mood improved substantially. Good. Good. And, then I, and I was cool. <laughs> and, and then, so what they take you to the hospital and then, and, and what, 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 what injuries did you have? Um, so I had a lot of soft tissue damage um, at the, they took me to the ER. I didn't have, they took a CAT scan. I didn't fracture anything. And believe it or not, when I, I remember one of my SWIC instructors, it was the physician's assistant and he was in the ER and he was the guy that accepted me when I was down there. And I'm out of my mind at this point and I'm seeing him. I was like, there's no way I think is, oh, oh, I remember his name, but anyway, it was definitely him. Cause he had the, he had a SWIC tattoo. Yeah. And I thought I was hallucinating. And then he was like Pittman. Cause I was in my, they had to cut my, uh, my op camis off me. Right. Have, you know, we don't, you don't necessarily need to wear camouflage on a, on a gray. <laughs> right, right. We have very unique op camis that are just gray. Yeah. And I had some of them cut off me and stuff like that. So he was just like, dude, like I heard there was a, a an NSW guy that got hurt. And so I came down and it was you. <laughs> oh my gosh. But yep. he let me fall. So I, I, I hadn't, Renee hadn't heard. She was working on Ant-Man in Atlanta. And he, I was like, Hey man, I need to call my wife. I should probably let her know. So I called her and I, I don't remember repeating myself a thousand times, but she, I, mean, I told her I was fine. And, you know, I was going to try to get back into jump, you know, go back and do my next jumps. And she's, so she knew I was out of my mind. So she ended up flying in town and stuff, but oh my God. Injuries, I just, I had a, I got diagnosed with a concussion and a, a neck strain and they had me all morphined up and they let me out of the hospital that night. Really? Yeah, because I didn't have any broken bones. And I remember yeah. when the guys cleared my C-spine, he didn't even touch it. Yeah. 
there because I mean my neck was I could not move my neck. Okay, I was it. on I was on all the morphine. I was pushing that button every chance I got. Right, I'm, right, I'm not right. The guy you've ever met, and uh, I, I just remember when he cleared my neck. I was like, yeah, I don't, I don't, I didn't, whatever. But I want to get out of the hospital. So yeah, a friend of mine that lived in San Diego picked me up because it was late. It was like maybe I got hurt in the morning and they let me in the hospital at like midnight or something okay. like that. it was late. I don't know what time it was, but uh, my buddy picked me up and then he took me back to the hotel and uh, I couldn't find my room. Oh my God. Just, and I'd been there for like two weeks or whatever it was. Yeah. I was completely lost. Yeah. But I'm thinking, you know, like I played football. I'd had, I'd had, I definitely had a, you know, a concussion or two before, but it never affected me like that. And um, so I'm thinking, I was like, oh, it just must be the morphine. I'm just whacked out, you know? But um, I ended up, I remember when I went, I was, had the wherewithal to go to the, the front desk and I was like, hey, I know I've been here for two weeks, but I can't <laughs> find the room. Yeah, they just yeah. looked at me like they're like, oh, this guy's on drugs or something. But right. a little embarrassed, but they took me up. I got in and I went to sleep. And then I woke up like in the middle of the night. And it was just like this like crazy like panic attack wake up that I had. It was oh nuts. And I was, I was in a lot because the morphine wore off and um, they didn't give me any drugs or anything when I left. And I was just everything hurt. And then I was I just like woke up in this like state of sheer panic, yeah. which is not like me. I'm a pretty laid back guy. But again, I thought I was just like, maybe it's just like took too much morphine, you know, like I don't, there's no way this is, you know, maybe I just, you know, maybe it's a little scarier than I thought. And then um, just kind of chilled myself out, stayed in my room. And then I called a buddy who was at team, I think seven out there that I went to Sockham with. And I was like, Hey, I need a ride. Like I got in an accident yesterday. They cut my camis off me and they like my military ID was in there. I can't get on posts. So like, I just need to get on base. Cause like, I have no idea what's going on. And he was like, dude, are you okay? He's like, yeah. And he's pretty, he's pretty high speed. He's a great guy. He's like, all right, I'll pick you up at the Northwest corner of a hotel. <laughs> all right, and honestly, even with a good brain, I'd have been like, all right, so where am I? <laughs> right, right, right. right, I had, right. And then I went outside and I could not find him. He picked me up and he was just like, dude, like what happened to you? Cause I was just, I was out of it. Yeah. And then yeah. So then I had to go find my military ID and I had to, I don't, I just remember I was just really that next two weeks was just a fog. And then did you go see another doctor at some point or what was the yeah, next so step? I remember that, that day I went to, to team 20 and I met, I just like found someone cause I was kind of on my own. Yeah. Once I got released from the hospital, the corpsman that was escorting me just pieced out. Right. And I, you know, just some fleet corpsman that I didn't know and I don't blame right. him. Cause he's, you know, he was like probably 10 o'clock at night or whatever. And he just wanted to yeah. go home. It's hard yeah. to blame him. Cause I was, I was fine. You know, I was like, dude, get out of here. I'm good. But, uh, yeah. So I, I found someone, I think my, uh, my LT was there and he was just like, and I, I couldn't, I couldn't, it was San Diego and it was sunny, but like the lights were so bright. Yeah. I had my hood on, I had my sunglasses on and I was just kind of walking around like the Unabomber and he recognized <laughs> me and like, pulled me aside and he started talking to me and he was just like, dude, like, you need to go back to the hospital. No shit. Like, no, no, I'm fine. I'm, you know, I'm good. And he's like, dude, no, like, no, get, and he like escorted me to the, the team medic station. And then they, they took me to the ER. I mean, it's just classic brain issue, brain damage, right? Like you, it's just classic. Like my son had unfortunately a, a blackout concussion on Friday, snowboarding. Yeah. Just oh, happened. No. And so I'm hearing this story and like what you're saying is all classic concussion you know syndrome stuff i can't yeah. believe they let you out but again you, they they if there's nothing on the scan right you'd had no brain bleed or anything like it's tough to really diagnose that stuff right yeah and I, you know i don't i don't hold it against them because there's they don't have the diagnostics and literally like i was high on morphine right right i was ready to go like i, yeah. I took out my ivs i was just done i like put on my clothes before there you know i was i was out of there right right me out of there too oh my so, gosh honestly i felt fine when i left like you know, and my brain injury is more like, I mean, obviously I got rocked pretty hard, but that next couple of weeks, it was like a leaky tire where things just, the wheel started coming off. Oh man. And, um, I, I, I remember seeing pictures of that two weeks and like, I don't remember like going for walks and doing stuff with Renee cause she came back to see me. Like it was like being like blackout drunk for two weeks. Like yeah, the memory yeah, was really yeah. crazy, but I, I got like, there was just a lot of learning. It was hard on my wife as well. Cause I was just, I was, I was, I get so mad. I would, I like try to pull a guy out of a car once because he took my parking spot and like, Brent, you know me. Yeah. Yeah. I'll buy you a beer before I want to go to, you know. Right. 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 I was zero to 60, whether I was mad or I was like sad, I would, my emotions were everywhere and I was not easy to deal with. 
Dude, that's and, classic TBI right there, man. I'm telling you. Oh my yeah, gosh. You know, Trader Joe's when they ring the bell and for whatever reason. Yeah. They rang that bell by me once and it just it like hurt my brain. Yeah. Just, yeah. Yeah. I just I started shaking and I had to like walk out to the car. Yeah. And that went on for, for months, you know. Really? Slowly slowly got better. Yeah. I didn't drive for a month or two afterwards because it was like Talladega nights when he gets in the wreck and people are blown by him. <laughs> You're going six miles an hour, right? Everything yeah, was, yeah. Everything was so fast. Like my brain just couldn't keep up. Yeah. So luckily, yeah. like my dad's retired. He came down and drove me around, drove me to all my medical appointments. And like, you know, I got, you know, as good as care as you can get. And I had family around. If it wasn't for that, like, I don't know how guys do it. You just, you just have to figure it out. Cause I mean, dude, I'd get lost going. I'd have a doctor's appointment in the same place for a month. And then one day I just would be like, I don't remember how to get there. And I mean, are they making any progress with you? Are they giving you any advice or things to do or or are they all just, it's just a mystery. I mean, is this the mystery of traumatic brain injury or what? what, what? Honestly, I don't think I could have had better care than what happened and what was available at that time. Cause they were trying everything. Right. I had six different doctors I was going to from like psychologists, psychiatrists to ortho people to like just everybody, you know, vestibular rehab. I was real my vestibular system was really messed up. I had, my balance was terrible and I was a division one athlete and I couldn't even, I couldn't pass the DUI walk for like a month, you know, Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was getting the best care that you could. It's just people don't, you know, and they give you the, the dementia test, which is like, is this an elephant or is this a giraffe? And you circle one and I'm like, all right, you're good. <laughs> right, so, right, right. Yeah. And I took a, I took a, some sort of test and I remember I had this doctor and I, I you know, I don't care. He was a jerk. I, I'm not going to say his name, but he was a, uh, he was the only doctor that I, that, that was, I didn't agree with. And I took a, whatever aptitude test before. Right. After, after the accident. And it was like, you know, a couple of months afterwards and um, I took the test and, you know, it was, it was hard for me to like read. I was feeling a little dyslexic and stuff. Right. But I, you know, I, I did what I could and I got frustrated and I probably could have done better. But when I got, when I did the review with the guy, the psychologist, he was like, yeah, it's inconclusive. Um, you might've like, it looks like maybe you try to throw the test or something like that. What? He, that wasn't his exact words, but he was like, yeah, it's inconclusive. Like, you know, maybe you didn't try as hard as you could have. And Brent, I'm a Sockham, an NSW guy. I gave that test everything I had. Yeah. yeah. I, was, I wanted to see where I was because I was, you know, I wanted to know. And I, I just, I, I got, and I was not as healthy mentally as I could have been, but my right. dad was with me. So I got real quiet and I'm enraged. Yeah. And he starts going on about how he went to like Yale and he was a lacrosse player and now he had plenty of concussion concussions and that look at me, you know, I'm a, I'm a PhD now and I got all kinds of concussions playing lacrosse in college. Yeah. I lost it. I yeah. lost it. I can see that. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, I played football at the university of Nebraska and got plenty of concussions. And then I went through NSW deployed, fell from the sky at 50 miles an hour, got knocked out deaf. And now I'm back here and you're putting yourself on the same level as me. <laughs> I was like, I, I, I thank you. My dad was there. Cause I, I don't lose. I, uh, yeah. I pulled him out and I didn't get to see him ever again after that. Unfortunately. Well, I mean, but, but that kind of rage and stuff, I mean, from a lot of the guys I've talked to, that's very common with TBI. You can't control your emotions. You're quick to snap. Right. Brent, like, honestly, like, I mean, I, you know, it's like everybody else. See how I have emotions. But I was always really good. I mean, I bartended in Beverly Hills. Right. I remember you, you know, said that. Yes. Not the nicest they could have. And I'm pretty good at laughing stuff off, you know, unless you attack like, you know, a loved one or like my dog. Right. Right. You're going to have to really try to get me upset. But I was, I was, I was, I was pretty, pretty hot. Yeah. I can totally see that. Oh my gosh. So how, how does that, what, what happens next? Are you thinking at some point, like I can't do my job now or what, where's your, where are you at? Um, no, I mean, I was pretty rocked, but I mean, I was, there were so many other things going on. I couldn't even drive my car the first month or two. I remember you told me that I'm not yeah. thinking about being a, you know, and my command was, they, they couldn't have been better to me. They just kept me out at the Navy lodge in Coronado. Cause my yeah. wife was out there. Yeah. Kept me on there. They kept paying me per diem. They were just like, dude, just get better and yeah. come back when you can. So yeah, like, I, I was yeah. getting taken care of and I was taking advantage of it. I've never missed a doctor's appointment. Yeah. Any times I didn't want to go. And, um, you know, I don't think I started thinking about my career until maybe like six months afterwards when I okay. you know, clearing a little bit. Yeah. And then I was still having a lot of hiccups and I just saw how hard everything was on my wife. And my wife's a rock star. She's a tough yeah. lady. 
I mean, you can tell everybody a little bit about your wife too. Like she's like superstar stunt woman in Hollywood. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. She's a, she's a, literally, she's a superstar. She's one of the top stunt women in the, in the industry. She's been in it for 15 years now. Something like I love that. It. She may have had a few concussions in her life too, but yeah, not yeah, bad at yours. <laughs> they're not a, they're not a sympathetic like broken toes and fingers and things like that. They're a tape it up and carry on kind of thing. Oh my gosh. But, uh, but so, so you, after, after six months, you're kind of yeah, like, you know what, this is not getting better. Well, I'm, yeah, I'm, so at this point, I'm, I don't know, 33. And um, I know I'm in bad shape. And I start doing a lot of research and listening to different podcasts about getting better. Cause that's all I wanted to do. I just want to be normal again. Right. Yeah. And I'm, I'm way far from normal. Yeah. Um, by the time I went back, let me do some recruiting like in LA, like for NSW for like a couple of years. Cause like the doctors are saying this is going to be a two year deal. Okay. I got you. Yeah. And they said, no, they said you're either operation. Like my master chief at the time wasn't the, I don't think he was a big fan of mine, but gotcha. do either operational or not. We're not going to do that. Huh? So I said, fine. Cause I needed that time. Yeah. I would yeah. have been Brent. I would have been a, I mean, still like navigating with my, phone and like in the car like i'm still not as sharp as i sh used to be yeah so imagine you know that's what we do we navigate and we make a lot of decisions so i just i was it was good for me to step aside at that point yeah. i mean cool. i remember when i first met you years ago you told me like the same thing like driving in la on the freeway no go yeah can't do it just too much stimuli for for your yeah. brain and everything yeah it was it was for a while and then you know i'm, I'm fine with all that stuff now but you know, it just, it just takes time and it's, it's not linear. You don't just get better like this. You have, you know, three or four good days and then you have a spin out and, yeah. you know, but. So, so when, what'd you do next? You end up getting out of the Navy. What year was that? Yeah. So I, it took me about a year and a half. I got medically retired in 2000 and what year is it? It's like three years ago. Okay. 2019. Yeah. was my last day. And then struggled finding a job like everybody else something that i like to do i did medical device sales for a little bit hated that yeah and then um I, that and then COVID happens so then i started doing they, they somebody hit me up on linkedin linkedin to do basically make up COVID protocols for movies and be on on location i remember that yeah it did great and i and you know i was i was a paramedic at the time and i was like well this is more money than i'm gonna make yeah so i went all over i did a show in washington i did some in la and renee's traveling all over doing stuff and i didn't see her i saw her one weekend in like four months yeah yeah i remember that yeah, yeah. She's like, what are we doing she's like why don't you come down to atlanta you can teach one of the actors how to like you know just do some basic pistol stuff we'll get you into sag and you know you can just be on a stunt contract and at least i'll get to see you for a week and i was like yeah that sounds great let's do that yeah. But then I didn't know, but she, she had a plan. So I, you know, I had some fun teaching this actress. I love instructing. <laughs> I, I did something for uh, like soccer instructing. Right. For actors, you know. So I, I, I love it. So I had, a, I had a blast coming up with different drills. And Hollywood actresses are a little different with shooting drills. I set up a bunch of teddy bears and like a hostage. Thank you. Situation. Thank you. Yes. Yes. Exactly. I didn't think that was as awesome as I did. I got that was a uh, that was frowned upon. So I, I'm still learning. But uh, yeah. So at the end of the week, uh, my sister-in-law, who was stunt coordinator coordinating the show was like hey like how about would you want to like do a stunt with renee like you're going to be pointing a gun in one of the actors face and then she's going to come in and like judo throw you it'll be awesome and i was like yeah that sounds great so then i got on set and ended up doing that thing and then they gave me some lines and i was way out of my league i was doing a scene with the, the bad guy from ace ventura true his name's like simon caldwell uh-huh yep 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 I'm sitting there with like a ski mask on with like a little rubber mp5 point a gun and the bad guy from ace ventura two face kind of looking around being like what the hell did I, get <laughs> I love it i love it but it was fun man i got my adrenaline got up in a good way and i, I liked it and it was like a performance thing where you you know you have to hit your your stuff and then i just kind of fell in love with it and then just kind of been doing that ever since i love that i love that and when when you separated from the navy i mean where what was your were you kind of like man what am i going to do now i'm so you know lost or were you like i need this for my brain health to get out reset figure out a new job like what was the mindset cuz i know some of the guys when they get out from naval special warfare or some of the green berets i've interviewed like they really struggled but they also didn't have you know the kind of injury you had so i'm curious you know what you went through mentally 
Um, so the, the brain injury was really tough, right? But I was I was doing pretty well by that point. Okay. Uh, my biggest, I think my biggest struggle, and I didn't know it at the time, was finding a purpose. Yeah. Just in general. And I thought I needed to make all this money because, you know, I needed to like help out my wife. I didn't want to have to rely on her financially. Right. And I've always just, you know, I think that NSW soccer mindset, you're just always like, you know, you're looking for that team camaraderie and you're looking yeah. for, for that piece. And I, I didn't have that, you know, and I was just, I think I was really just set on making a ton of money. Okay. First. And like, I, I was that, that uh, I was making good money doing the health and safety stuff, being a department head. I remember that. But I was gone all the time and I wasn't happy. Yeah. And, um, so yeah, it was, it was tough. And then striker, that's a big money job working medical device sales, but that was just a terrible fit for me. Yeah. I, I remember, just, I remember you were driving four hours a day to get back and forth to your job. That's no yeah, at least an hour and a half. There's just a lot of cars and then surgeons are prima donna. Some of them, there was definitely some cool ones, but I was like, you know, I don't want to schmooze people for a living. I just, right. Wanna... Right. Right. And then with, with the stunts thing, it's such community. Cause it's, I mean, you know, with Renee and Heidi and their little unit that they've made, they're, they're as strong as any like SEAL platoon. Yes. Like, honestly, people die in stunts. Really? Yeah, Absolutely. yeah they've, had, they've had multiple people. I just talked to a young lady from Australia that had a really gnarly brain injury and got her like head cut open. And since I've been with Renee, I think maybe two or three people have died on set. Doing oh my stuff. gosh, that is great. Yeah, so like they, and they, they do scary stuff every day, hanging from wires and that, you know, so they're, they're really tight and it's a, it's a hard work job. You work really hard together because you got to move pads and set stuff up. It's high stress. So it's kind of the same as the military where you're doing high stress events with a group of people. And that's, you're not going to forge those bonds, you know, at the bank or at striker. Yeah. Um, so I fell in love with that. And even though I'm a terrible stunt person and I don't <laughs> kind of build my niche is where like what piece of the you know the gears that i the cog and the wheels that i can right you know, well I, I still have to admit my favorite christmas card is up on my shelf up there <laughs> from hawkeye with you yeah. and your amazing wife renee all kitted out oh i love it i love it and you know we have a, we have a few more we can't we can't send out now because you obviously can't send those pictures out until the movies come out but correct yeah we have three yeah. years of the christmas cards planned out so far yeah send me uh send me a rap party card for sure but uh i man i appreciate it i really think you know the more these stories we can get out the more we can encourage people who are struggling that they're about to leave the military they're already out they're trying to find their purpose they've had some injuries you know, especially a lot of the team guys that I work with mentoring, they have similar stuff to what you have, you know, our friend Zach and some other guys that are just kind of like, you know, they really struggle with this. And, I, you know, that's the mission Greg Cease and I have with this podcast is just to get these stories out. It's not a war stories podcast. It's just a, hey, here's another way to look at it. Here's a SWIC. Here's an officer. Here's an enlisted. Here's a breacher. Here's a sniper. Here's a regular, you know, infantryman just to kind of, you know, give people a little support and know that, you know, they're not alone out there. Yeah. And I think I've had a lot of fun in the entertainment industry, especially the, uh, the stunt department. Cause there's a lot to it. There's, you know, there's like the stunt people and it's not just like, there's different tiers of stunt people. Like Renee would be a tier one stunt person. Like she's yes. Marvel mystique. She's double people. She can't talk about. Yes. You know, yes. It's like, she's the real deal. There's also dummies like me that get killed in the background. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's not, it's not the most fulfilling thing. And I, the reason I enjoy it is because I'm, you know, I usually work with my wife and, you know, my close friends. Yeah. But, you know, you still need to know some stuff, but I've been mentored by some of the best, you know, yeah. but I'm never going to be a tier one, you know, backflip, karate kick, you know, doubling yeah. Bruce Lee type, you know, type of guy. But so there's so many jobs and there's also like the stunt riggers and they, yeah. they they're bag. They make a, they make a SAG weekly, which is great money. They make residuals and they're the guys hooking up all the, you know, they're prepping the stunts with all the stunt rigs, all the wire gags and all that stuff. And those guys make, those guys can make two, $300,000 a year. Well, and that's what I'd like to do. I mean, I know we talked about when I used to meet with you and Renee and Heidi is once COVID does calms down even more to get that studio started, to get a gym started out for, for stunt people to train and work out and learn how yeah. to roll and fight and stuff. So, you know, I've been working with now that I'm 
back in the movie business. I've been working with War Office Productions with Ray Mendoza and Justin Garza and some team guys. And so I feel like there's a veteran community out there. So I'm going to encourage any of our listeners who are interested in the movie biz, reach out to me. And there are, you know, we've got a community of veterans that are in the business like you and the other people. And I think it, you know, it's another opportunity. I know a lot of people like our friend Paul Toma going the acting route, but there's also millions of things behind the scenes. And so I think it's pretty cool uh, to hear what you're doing. And uh, um, I'm just glad you're feeling better. You're happy. You know, when I first met you, just you were about to get out or maybe you just got out and you were like, you know, still finding your footing. And uh, I'm just thrilled with where you are. And I'm so glad we could share a, share a podcast with people kind of about your story. I appreciate you opening up and everything. Oh, I appreciate you having me. And I definitely want to try to get as, at least get as many veterans as I can exposed to the entertainment industry. Cause I, I was so against it. Cause you're just used to seeing all the nonsense on TV with how, you know, all the posturing and all that. And I'll tell you what, man, it is not like that at all, especially in the stunt department. People are just normal, just want to go to yeah. work and work hard. They don't care about your politics. No one's talking about politics at work. No one cares. Yeah. Everybody has a job. Most people love their jobs. And there's so many departments that are interesting because most people think military is like, oh, you can be a stunt guy or you can, you know, maybe want to be an actor. But there's special effects where you build all these crazy special effects, semi trucks that do all this cool stuff and blow up. There's like visual effects for like the computer guys that you can make a fortune in those jobs. Yeah. And you just like, I've met so many awesome people in all these departments that are just, just hardworking people that ended up getting into a career that they love, which gives them a purpose, which just makes them, I don't know. I just, I don't know. I'm a better person when I have a purpose. Yeah. Aren't we all, aren't we all? Well, that, like I said, I'll encourage people to reach out to me and you know, if there's any veterans out there looking to get in the business, I'll, pass them on to the appropriate person, but, uh, yeah. yeah. Mentor anybody or tell them what I know. You know, I talked to, to Alvi the other day and I was like, Hey man, this is my perspective. I know like you have, you know, this is just my two cents. I definitely don't know everything, but yeah. You're in the world though, man. I love it. I love it. Well, let's, uh, we'll wrap it up there. Thank you, Cade Pittman, uh, for being on Bravo 16 podcast and, uh, hope that everybody enjoys, uh, enjoys your story. And we're signing off. All right. Thanks for having me, Brett.